part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. We're going to start in Jonah. Uh, It's in the Old Testament. It's about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. But before we get started, you may have noticed a little bit of movement and activity uh, during uh, the worship time. Uh, Kelly's parents, um, Kelly Perry's parents, uh, she was on her way. To, uh, I guess they were on their way to church this morning, and uh, we're involved in an accident. The initial word that we have is that everybody's okay, uh, but they are going to go to the hospital and get checked out and all that. And that's why some of the others have gone back there to kind of cover some of their duties. But uh, part of being the family guys is that we rejoice together. We rejoice with those that are rejoicing, and we cry with those that are crying, and we, we kind of just gather in on that time. So I'm going to ask you to just to bow your head, and you don't have to reach all the way across the pews or anything. But just kind of, you know, we're a family, guys. Hold the hand of somebody close by there. And let's lift up this family this morning and just pray for for Kelly and for her parents now and just to bring a calmness and a healing and to thank God for the protection it seems like he's given. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. And, Father, we come and we lift up Kelly and her family. Father, that uh, she would be able to minister to them now. Father, we uh, I thank you for those parents. Father, they raised her to know Christ. They raised her in a loving home, imperfect parents, taking their child to the perfect one. And so, Father, today, what a blessing it will be that she can go in there, even in these challenging times and something that's somewhat of unknown, and that they have this foundation as a family. They have this rock that's underneath them, that no matter what happens here, Father, in calamity, that, that, Father, they can just know that you love them and that you're with them. And so we as a church family, now we gather, Father, and we just lift up the Perry family and or her parents, and, and Father, that you would just bless them today. Father, give them good care through doctors and all that, and that they will have a testimony after all this, Father, just to, to further praise you of the protection that you've given them this very day. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Jonah. Today we're going to try to accomplish, uh, we'll look at the first three verses, but we're really going to look at the first six words. It may take us five weeks, at least five weeks to get through the book of Jonah. But the book of Jonah is kind of challenging because it is one of those that it is spectacular. It is one of those that when you start thinking of Jonah, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Just kind of yell it out. First of Jonah and the well, the big fish, whatever you want to go, you know. And we get captivated because that's kind of either the most interesting story that we've ever heard are one of the most confusing, you know, that what we begin to concentrate on so much is, could that really happen? Could you really be in the belly of a big fish or a well or something like that for three days and still come out alive? And we so concentrate on the absurdity of that and almost the impossibility of that that we kind of miss what it was really leading to. You know, there's six prophets that were mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus And Jonah was mentioned twice. And one of the things that Jesus mentions about Jonah is the three days and three nights. And he parallels that back to what he was going to do, that he would be in the grave for three days and he would rise again. And if there was ever validity to this story of going, okay, is that kind of fiction? It's kind of far-fetched. Jesus gave it all the validity that it needed. When he made that parallel, this is what's going to happen to me, just as it happened to Jonah. We're going to look this morning, and we're going to look at this fascinating story, and I promise you that it will tell you much more about yourself (laughs) and some of the examination as we find out 
And it very much will tell you about the, the kind of God that we serve. But the book of Jonah is one of those that is really kind of an introspection of, of, of ourselves. And what I would hope to accomplish after five weeks or six weeks, that we would walk around and go, you know, I'm Jonah. <laughs> I'm the rebellious one that at times can be pretty defiant and say, God, what were you thinking? You know, have you ever thought that? Now, some of us haven't ever said that out loud. You know, we're afraid the lightning bolt to come down. But many of us have thought it before. God, what were you thinking? And it really wasn't in some kind of an admira- uh, admiration kind of way. It was more of a skeptical way. Where he began to say, God, there's so much chaos in my life. God, this doesn't feel fair. This doesn't feel right. I see people all the time that are doing all these things. And, and why is this calamity coming on me? It will take us out of that mindset and give us the mindset that I don't know that Jonah ever got. One of the things that we know about this book, God instructed him to write it. So it's pretty truthful because it really does show him uh, uh, maybe some of the few quality points that he has, but also a lot of his flaws. It's very kind of revealing. And as we begin to apply it to our own lives, we begin to see that we have some of those same qualities to us. And that doesn't, it's not there to make us feel all guilty and vain. It's there so that we can run to the cross. So they're to expose that this is our need, and we need the same saving that Jonah needed. So Jonah chapter 1, start this morning. We're going to look, and we're going to find uh, in those first kind of, the first verse, the first part of it, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the same of Amittai. I want you to focus on those first six words, now the word of the Lord. Now you, might, you may have a translation that says it a little bit differently, but really that's going to be our focus this morning. It's the word of the Lord. Now, again, Jonah is the one that's writing this down. Jonah is our author of this book. And so when it tells us something bad about Jonah, we can take for granted that very much he did that. This isn't a stretch of imagination. This isn't somebody else telling tales on Jonah. This is what God has revealed to him to write down. And it starts with these words, and it's actually going to use these words, that, that phrase, six more times in the book. It's the consistent theme. One of the things when you begin to study the Bible and you kind of read through, you're going, where did I see that before? Where did I see that before? And you start saying, okay, he mentioned that five times in this book. And all of a sudden you're going, okay, this must be kind of the foundational meaning of this particular book. Well, in the book of Jonah, it's this phrase, the word of the Lord. And this morning I want us to be fascinated by that. Because sometimes we can take the word of the Lord, the Bible, and we're going, okay, you know, I don't quite live up to all the Bible. It's kind of intimidating to me. I don't know a lot about it. Or we even feel really guilty because we're not living out all the the commandments and all the different things. But can you be fascinated for a moment? Can you take a moment and be fascinated that Creator God would speak to you? Just for a moment that Creator God, the God who created everything, has a word for you? Isn't that, I mean, is that not mind-blowing, guys? Not just a word for the general population. I mean, certainly people from all over the world can, can read this. And, and so this word. But what's really unique about God's word being alive is that when I read it, he tells me something in my spirit, and you read it, and you get something else. Not that it varies in truth, but in application. And then all of a sudden, this, we begin to see that God isn't just this monotone voice, thou shalt, 
thou shalt not. What we see is that he is truly this creator God, this father, that says, Bobby, here's the encouragement, or here's the, the word of correction that you need for this day. Now, guys, I know sometimes that can be intimidating because we're going, okay, it's like God is always looking at me. Honestly, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, sometimes if I'm goofing off, it may seem like a bad thing, but grasp this, grasp this, guys. Creator God, the one and only God, knows you and has a word for you. I could, I better not say that because you'll say, good, if you're going to be finished, I was going to say, I could be finished right there, and that's the sermon, because that would be enough, but, but I'm going to go on, especially since I missed last week. Okay. The word of the Lord comes. Now, I make this note because I want you to understand from the very beginning that this is a case of rebellion, not a case of ignorance. One of the things as parenting, when I do parenting conferences, that I spend some time with parents going, okay, as you're training up a child, one of the things that you have to determine when there's misbehavior, when there's behavior that you do not want, is this an act of rebellion or an act of ignorance? Teachers, you have to do it all the time. Is little Johnny just being, is he ignorant that he doesn't know? Nobody taught him at home? Or he knows and he just wants to try to be the boss today. Well, it happens in our home, guys. And part of the whole parenting thing is first and foremost to identify, is this a spirit of rebellion or a spirit of ignorance? A spirit of rebellion is they know what to do, they just refuse to do it. A spirit of ignorance is they're just not equipped to do it. You don't go up to a three-year-old and say, okay, I want you to tie your shoes necessarily because a three-year-old can't do that, even though that's a physical activity and not an activity of the will. But potty training is. Been there? You can say sometimes that's an act of physical nature. And, but how many of you would agree that sometimes that's an act of the will? I refuse to go on the pot. You know, I just I refuse to, to go here. I'll go wherever I want to, but I'm not going to go here. And it's an amazing thing as you engage that child that you're going, okay, I don't think this is a case of ignorance anymore. I think this is a case of pure rebellion. They just want their way. They're going to try to show who's boss. When we come to God's word, one of the things that we begin to identify in our lives, in in lives of others, is, okay, is this an act of ignorance because I just didn't know better? Or is it an act of defiance and rebellion? When we begin to open up Jonah, very quickly, guys, we see that this is an act of rebellion. It's not ignorance. Because it is something that he has the knowledge of, he has the ability to do, he's a prophet one who's called of God to follow God and also speak for God. And so as we begin to open up this first uh, verse there, we begin to see in these first two verses, look at it again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, stop right there. From this first verse we know, number one, the word of the Lord, uh, the word of God came from God, not some other source. Somebody didn't come up to Jonah and said, here's, I think this is a good idea. Have you ever had a well-meaning Christian give you a good idea? Yeah. Here, here, I think this would be a good thing for you to do. Volunteer for VBS. Yeah. Which is a good thing for you to do, and we need you to do that. Okay, so sign up for VBS. But you know, somebody else trying to be the Holy Spirit for you? 
It's always what I've, I've always joked around. God has never asked me to be the fourth member of the Trinity. You know, He's never said, you know, Bobby, I really need some help here. You're a pastor. Can you kind of speak for us? No, there are times that God has called me as a pastor to speak, and yet He's never called me to be the fourth member of the Trinity. He can cover that. And the first thing that we see here is that this is the word from God. This isn't another minister coming along saying, Jonah, we had kind of a meeting, a minister's meeting, and we elected you to go and do what we're about to tell you. This is the word from God. That's the first thing we see. The second thing is that Jonah is the one who is, is saying that the word came from God. He's the one writing the book. So it's not like even somebody else is writing this saying, Okay, I know that Jonah heard from God, and Jonah goes, I did not hear from God. No, Jonah is writing the book, and he says, this is the word from the Lord. Okay, I'm not trying to belabor that point, but it's a very important point to show that he's acting out of rebellion and not out of ignorance. Look at verse 2. Once we see those facts, we see them further established as we read uh, verse 2. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now remember, he's a prophet of God. Part of the job of the prophet is that you are kind of the light in the darkness. You speak truth when there's falseness. You you kind of do the things of God, even if everybody else isn't following God. And this city, Nineveh, was an evil, evil city. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But here, Jonah, the prophet of God, comes to give God's message, and usually that message was always intended for the Israelites. Almost all the the prophetic voices were for the nation of Israel. That is the people that were supposed to be following God. And the prophet would say something, and the people of Israel would either respond or they wouldn't respond. They'd be rebellious or they'd be very much in agreement with it. Well, this time, God gives a message, and it's really not for the Israelites is for these people that don't follow God. But sometimes you may have heard that term pagan, you know, where they're, just, they're not followers, they, they don't even believe that there's a God, or maybe they believe in a whole bunch of other gods, but they don't believe in the one true God. That's who Nineveh is. And not only that, they're really, they're an evil people. They will, uh, um, they used to flay their victims, take knives and just, I don't want to go too deep in that, they would do all kinds of just very violent things. They were mean, violent people. And yet look what he's told again in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, these pagan, pagan violent people that do not love God, do not follow God, and I want you to call out against it. That is, I'm going to give you a message, a sermon to preach. For their evil has come up before me. Here's the thing. Here's what God was asking. Jonah, I'm not asking you to go convince the people. I'm not asking you to go and do this and that. I'm asking you to do one thing. Go tell the truth. I want you to preach this sermon. Jeff and I talk about this all the time in some of our meetings. That you know, As much as we want people to love Christ, we can't make somebody love Christ. You know, that's, it's a personal decision. You've got to, you have to decide if you want to follow Christ or you not want to follow Christ. We can't make you. We can show you the truth. We can tell you the, the advantages of it. We can tell you the disadvantages of not doing it, but we can't make you do it. And I want you to know that Jonah's job is not to go into Nineveh and convert all those people. God says, I want you to do this one thing. I want you to go in there, and I want you to speak this sermon. And it's a very short sermon. 
like seven words. You wish. No, it really was there, but you're not going to get that here, okay? But that's how he was just going in the city, this huge city, and speak that. Again, they were violent, they were pagan, they worshipped false gods, and, and yet God said one thing, you go give them a message from me. It was one of the largest cities. And when it says a great city, he wasn't trying to say great in the words of morality, but as much as the, the Hebrew word there is size, that it would take five or six days to walk across the city, by far one of the largest cities in the Old Testament. So it's a bunch of people, pagan people, not God-fearing, idol worshipers, violent, very, very mean to the people that they opposed. That's what she kind of got. So here's the question. All we read is the first two verses. Ignorance or rebellion? Can you form a solid answer? Is Jonah ignorant or is he rebellious? What do you think? Okay, so two verses. There's four whole chapters. We've read two chapters, and you're right, you're very correct, that we can already see from the very beginning, really after verse 1, but it really solidified in verse 2, this is not ignorance. He's not going, where? Never heard of Nineveh. You know, he's not saying, what should I do? Oh, I've got to convince them? No, you just got to go preach. He's very clear. You go there, you preach the sermon, that's all God has told him to do. Verse 3. First word in your translation. I heard but. However. I like that, however. Somebody else. Anybody else have something besides but or however? Both of those work. But, however, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, I often say this is one of the saddest verses of the Bible. Guys, this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Not because of the rebellion necessarily just out and out of, of Jonah, but because of the last part. Look, look at what God equates with Jonah going to be obedient here. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. He's called to go to Nineveh, and we'll do all of our maps. Now, if you're a map person, come next week. We'll look at the map, and we'll get it all figured out. But he's asked to go this place that wasn't too far away. And instead, he goes to the other place that is really the farthest known place that he could have gone. He goes in the opposite direction. So we see rebellion, but, however, but the status part is that last part. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from what? That's the sad part of the story. Sometimes we think in our rebellion against God, our disagreements with God, God, I'm not going to sign up for this, or, and I don't mean a, a duty in the church, I'm just saying sign up for whatever it is, to be forgiving, to be loving, um, to, to, to do whatever. That, you know, when God calls us to very much mirror this image of Christ and this model of Christ in Christ-likeness, and we say, ah, I'm not going to be forgiving. <laughs> I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm not filling the blank. Sometimes we get in our minds that, okay, that's a strike against us and that God has this big ledger in the sky, good things, bad things. And when we are rebellious like this, he says, okay, that was a two-pointer, actually. 
And we're just hoping that when we get before God one day that we got more in this one column than the other column. Folks, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible will you find that. God is not an accountant. He is holy God. And why we will answer for what we do, there is no basis, not one from Genesis to Revelation, that you're standing before God one day and your entry into heaven and your existence for all eternity with God is based on your good works. No, it's based on the good work of Jesus Christ that, as he said, is finished, it's done, it's complete. So try to erase that kind of mentality. Um, but, you know, I helped a neighbor yesterday, so that's going to kind of balance out this disobedience today. It's not how it works. And what's at stake? What's at stake? Now, I've got to be very careful theologically here, okay? So please, if, you, if this confuses anyway, email me, call me. We'll have breakfast. I'll pay because I don't want you to be unclear here. But I, I, I also don't want to underinflate this. God will never leave you. He will never forsake me. What a promise that is. At the same time, when it says the presence of the Lord... And the very blessings of God. You know, there's a lot that we can start to read in there. And some of that is the blessings of the Lord. Guys, you're not going to be in sin and God's going to continue to bless. What a father that would be. Honey, you got all D's. Man, where do you want to go for supper? You, can, you, you know, you call the shot here because we're just proud of you. And you brought those things up from F's last semester to D's. You're on a roll here. That's not a good parent. No, a good parent looks over and says, okay, A, B, B, C, O, B. That was really a hard course, wasn't it? It didn't quite, you know, biology just didn't quite mesh with the way your mind works. I love you, and my love is not conditional that you got a D in biology. I love you because you're my daughter, you're my son. See, that's how it works, guys. But don't get into this mentality that somehow that God is going to bless it in our lives. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to take back your salvation. But what kind of father would ever bless in the midst of rebellion and sin? And one of the things that we have to be very careful, I'm going to preach grace until my last words. Because grace is the only thing, amazing grace is the only thing that saved me. But one thing, when we always talk about grace, 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 sometimes in this human mentality we can start saying, okay, I can just do whatever I want, and God still loves it. He does still love you, but he's not going to bless you. He's a good, good father. And Hebrews says he will discipline you. Why, because he's mad you ticked off God? No, because he loves you. And he says, this is not a path that's going to be blessing to your life. This is not the overflowing life that I want you to have. And, and so this is not a good way to go. And there will be correction and there will be discipline, guys. Do not discount that. He's a God of grace, but he is also a God who loves you and a God of justice. He's a God of correction. Is this ignorance or this rebellion? It's rebellion. There are times in our lives that we don't know what God is calling us to do. Have you ever had those times in life where you love Jesus, you're a Christian, and yet you really don't know? Sometimes it can be the mechanical things. Um, take this job or not. Move to this new place or not. Marry this person or not. I mean, there's a lot of life decisions that you make that are very big and impactful. 
And there are truly times in our lives that even as Christians, we don't always know everything that God has for us. And we really are kind of, pardon the term here, but to, to fit it with the rest of it, ignorant. We just don't know. And it's not rebellion. It's not that God has shown us a different way and we go, mm-hmm. it's that we really don't know the way to go. And I think that's where God's amazing grace and his continual uh, speaking to us and leading us step by step, day by day, hour by hour, will lead us. But that's not what we're dealing with here. There's going to be times in your life that you are ignorant, but you have a willing heart. But let's fess up, guys. Let's at least be honest with ourselves. There's times in your life, there's certainly been times in my life that I've disagreed with God. In my own little brain, it's about that big. When I computed everything, by the factors and the data that I had before me, I said, this does not make sense. Why did that guy who was the drunk driver cross the lane and the mom and the child die, but he walks away and then he gets off even then from a technicality? I take that in this little brain, this little brain, because that doesn't make sense. God, where are you? Some of that is ignorance. Some of that is rebellion. And then real rebellion comes when God makes it clear. Go to Nineveh, preach the sermon, and I say, I don't want to go. And I flee, what was it? From the presence of God. Oh, my goodness. Do you understand the weight of those words? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Guilt is the last thing. Guilt is not a good motivator. Guilt would motivate you for a moment. If I wanted to twist and turn, guys, we could have the altar filled this morning. That's not what God has called me to. Guilt lasts for about a minute. If there's going to be a redeeming work of God in Christ in our lives, and we're going to have transformation, it's not because we are guilted into something. We begin to see the weight of what we're dealing with. And here we see in this third verse, not in the 33rd verse, I just noticed that, in the third verse, that, uh, that when he makes this rebellious act, in a way, he's fleeing from the presence of God. There's not going to be blessing there. As we will see, God is not going to be abandoning him. But what we do begin to see is that this is a time that Jonah just said, God, I don't agree with you. Now, how do we know that? We're going to cheat this morning a little bit. We're going to look at the last chapter of Jonah. Because the last chapter of Jonah, Jonah confesses what's on his heart, Okay? So turn to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. We'll get to the whole rest of the story in the coming weeks. But I want you to show that Jonah himself says, hey, here's my problem. Here's what's going on in my head and in my heart. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Again, who wrote this? Jonah. Okay. So it's not like somebody else said, here's what I think was going on in Jonah's life. No, Jonah's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Because he's going to go, and he's going to preach this small little sermon, 
And, and the people are either going to turn to God or they're going to turn away from God. And in this case, they turn to God. You would think, victory. That's not what Jonah wanted. Why? Because look what it says. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I, I knew. I know enough about you, God. I just know this is the kind of God you are. You're a God of grace and mercy. And if people repent and they turn to you, you open your arms and you hug them really big. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What's the problem here? That he's ignorant? No. He's rebellious. Why? Because he just doesn't feel like going that way? No. He does not agree with God. I promise you, we have all been there before, guys, in, in some, some manner. When God said, you forgive, but they haven't asked for forgiveness. They're not acting in a forgiving manner. They're not, they keep on doing this. Uh, you know, I, I walk away and they'll strike me again. And God says, forgive. He said, I just, God, I disagree with you. What do you mean turn the other cheek? What do, you, what do you mean walk the extra mile? What do you mean he asked for my shirt and gave him the coat too? The gospel, guys, is radical. There's some things that this little brain really absorbs and gets. And there's other things that this little brain, by the data that I collect and the formation that I make in that little thing, I'm going, this is not right, this is not justice, this is not whatever. And that's where you and I have a choice to make. Or we can surrender and be obedient even if we don't understand the big picture, or are we going to rebel? Jonas shows us his heart. If you're a card player, he shows his hand. He shows his hand. He says, you know, you know my problem, God? As if God was going, I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my, for three chapters I've been sitting on the edge of my, you know, Dad, just wondering what's really going on in your heart there. He says, God, here, is the confession to God or is the confession to Jonah himself? Learn that, guys. Learn that. When God reveals something, when he speaks a word to you and it brings something to your heart and mind and it actually convicts you and, and you have confession, that confession, he already knows. You're going to a loving father. That confession is partly just for clarification in your own heart and your own mind. Your agreement, part of the repentance, we've always been taught that repentance is that you're going one way and you change your direction you're going the other way. But the word repent actually means to change your mind. You're going one way because you think it's the right way to go, and then you change your mind because you're confronted with a new truth. You change your mind. That then makes you want to go the other way. Repentance is here and here, not just the body that's kind of following the action. The body just kind of follows that new course of truth because it has new information, new confirmation maybe of old truth. And that's what happens here. I don't say a lot of smart things. You're not going to be able to, you know, if, if God has me pastoring here for several years, and, you know, you're not going to say, hey, we wrote a book of all the smart things Bob has said. It's going to be one of those two-page books, okay? But you can write this down, guys. You can write this down as godly wisdom. Every time you read the Word of God, 
one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be comforted by it or you're going to find yourself in conflict with it. The Word of God is powerful. And it's either going to give you the peace that surpasses understanding when it doesn't make sense. The little brain that you have has taken in all the data and made all the computations and you're going, there's no way I'm ever going to be happy again. I had a a dear lady say that she just lost her husband. She looked at me and she goes, Pastor Bobby, I'll never be happy again. I did not try to confront her with scripture. I did not bowl her. She just lost her husband, okay? But I knew that that's kind of where she was for that moment, just in that grief and in that sorrow. With the data that she had right there, that's all she But my hope is that the Holy Spirit, my hope is that the Word of God, my hope that comforting Christians around her would show her more and more this confirmation of what God has said. You know, you'll find a peace that surpasses understanding surpasses understanding, surpasses what your little brain is computing and and kind of delivering as the final thing. This is what you'll have. You'll have a peace, even though all the data doesn't look like peace. Or the Word of God is going to bring you in conflict. Have you ever heard yourself thought, I don't know that I really like that verse. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever even thought that a little bit. You know? It's like, that just doesn't, I don't know that I really like that verse. That's what the Word of God does. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said it this way. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What is that word saying? Okay, the word of God is going to bring comfort or conflict. It's going to show you what's here. At times when it's ignorance, it's going to give understanding. In times of rebellion, he's going to speak truth. And sometimes you're going to be obedient to that. You're going to be repenting. That is, you're going to turn to the truth of God and say, God, you're right. I do need to forgive Aunt Susie. Even though she hasn't asked me forgiveness, she still seems to be doing some of these horrible things to our family, but I will forgive her because you have commanded me to forgive as I've been forgiven. So I trust your word even though I don't compute how Aunt Susie is ever going to kind of be different. And at that point, you'll have freedom. You'll have the blessings of your own forgiveness as as far as the feeling of that because you're going to be showing and mirroring that back to uh, others. When it comes to fear and insecurity, your brain's going to say, man, man, we're about to go under. And if we don't get $2,000 in the mail, the miracle doesn't happen. There's no way we're going to even be able to pay this next month. That's all the data you have. And so sometimes God says, you just trust me. And people, and people look, and you explain that to them if you're trying to walk in faith, and people look at you like you have four heads. Okay, you've been looking at those TV preachers again, huh? Send me $10 and it'll turn into $1,000. No, that's not how it works, guys. We go back to the sermon three, four weeks ago. I take care of the birds. I take care of the grass. I take care of the flowers. How much more valuable are you than these? You may not have everything you 
want, but you'll have everything you need. And that's when we get a comfort that surpasses understanding. Or we will be in conflict. Because we will look at it and go, but, but God, I still want. And we'll have to take that word of God and we're going to have to, you know, you're going to be the decision maker of, do you accept that as truth? Do you rebel against it? Do you repent of, of maybe disagreement? And you come into that place of understanding. Not real difficult, guys. Two-edged sword. Comfort, conflict. Question for you this morning. In your life right now, are you finding more comfort from God's word or conflict from God's word? Any sermon that we preach, truth going out, in one way is kind of pointless if we don't do self-examination. I don't know that there's ever been a sermon preached that the proper response, for example, Sherry is go, I hope Jeff heard that. You know, <laughs> you know the, the proper response, okay, God, what are, you, what are you trying to tell me? And let's go back to what we said on the very first verse. Number one, are you amazed? Are you amazed that Creator God would speak to you? Is this not awesome? And now he's spoken to us and he's given things. Some things line up with our linear thinking and it kind of makes sense. And other things are in direct conflict of linear thinking. We're going, God, this makes no sense. And yet if God has spoken it, it's his truth. That's where we go, okay, God, by faith, by faith in what you've done, I, I trust you with this. Where are you this morning? Comfort? Conflict. Truth is, we're in both places. We kind of vacillate back and forth. But where are you living for the most part? Where are you living? And I, I pray that my life is living in the land of God's comfort of his word, but I will promise you that I, being a prideful, selfish, sinful man, I, I travel over, sometimes tiptoe and sometimes defiantly stomp over to that land of conflict. God, I just don't like that. But I pray that I don't live there. Because one of the most fearful things for me is not the loss of my salvation. That is secure in Christ. It's that whole presence of God thing. Can you imagine? Again, I'm secure in Christ. It's finished. I'm so glad that my defiant, I don't agree with that. I'm fleeing to Tarshish does not take his, bless, uh, his, his presence from me, the security of my salvation. But guys, he's not going to bless me there. I just want to live in God's blessing. He's blessed me so much. I want to live in that blessing. And when I say blessing, I'm not talking about, okay, you got plenty of money. You got this, that, and the other. Man, we're going back to Aruba. Now, I'm not talking about that kind of blessing, even though that was a blessing. I'm talking about the peace that surpasses all understanding, that when my little feeble brain cannot compute the data and come out with something that is good or blessing or maturing, that even in those days when it's dark, and I can say, what good can you bring from this God? That I can say, but you're a good God, and I trust you. And God, this little feeble brain, will you transform this heart and this brain so that even when I can't see the rest of the journey, I know that your presence is with me. And that's my desire for you. Conflict or comfort? When you read God's word this week, 
what land are you going to live in? Conflict of his word? I just don't think that's what God should do. Or comfort. Hey, this makes no sense. I really can't reason this out. But God, you've placed, because your word of God is so, the word of God is so penetrating, even down to the soul and the spirit, you've placed a, a, a quietness in our heart. Even when all the obvious things don't look like it really adds up. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we are Jonah. We are rebellious people at times. Father, sometimes we, we would say yes, we just didn't know any better and we could plead, plead ignorance. But Father, there's plenty of times when we are fully aware of what you have said, we're fully aware of what you've called us to, and we just live defiantly, Father, because that's not what we want to do. Father, help us to see at that time that yes, that is sin, but Father, to see that we're disagreeing with you, Holy God, that your graciousness to even speak your word to us, that you would even give Jonah a word to go into Nineveh and to preach the sermon. How gracious that is to you, of you, Father, to do that. And, and so, Father, in those times when uh, we allow this little brain with our limited data to formulate a defiant response, thank you that the, the love of Christ continues. But Father, help us to, to see the weight of this presence that you have. We, we don't want to be out of your presence. We don't want to be out of your blessing. Father, we don't, we, we want to be in those situations that even the darkest of nights there's the light of the gospel, there's the hope of Christ in the darkest of nights because we have you and because you have given us Christ. And so Father, we just love you this morning. We thank you for your word. And Father, as we journey through Jonah in the next four or five weeks, Father, we pray that more and more and more you just reveal to us, Father, the things in our lives that, that we need to wrestle with. But Father, that you will show us that the answer is not in us becoming better people, but to run to the cross and to run to the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. For those marriages today, Father, that find themselves in a conflict, Father, I pray that they would run to the cross. Father, and, and people battling different financial things, I, I pray that they will run to the cross. Father, for those that find themselves in just in opposition of what you have stated in your word, that you would allow them to, Father, just to run to the cross. Find mercy and grace and truth. Father, we, we sing this last song as a confession to you. And Father, just as a profession of our faith and our need for you, as we pray all this in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.